your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. Welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. This music always makes me want to talk. What kind of voice is this? What's going on? I don't know, rough cowboy maybe something? It's like the narrator at the start of a cowboy movie. Bronco's Bravado, that's the song. I know y'all want to go and YouTube it. Actually, we've never YouTubed it. There's no way to find it. I've tried to find it. It's impossible to find. There's a Mike Hayes original or something it exclusive? is mike yeah exclusive. mike hayes exclusive we stole it though we stole <laughs> it so i guess it's a wisdom exclusive now we heard it one day how do we even come come up with Brian? yeah so and, hayes and we're talking with uw lacrosse political science professor dr anthony jagoski this hour if you have questions 608-785-7914 okay i interrupted you so hayes has those musical numbers that play while he's talking bumper music we bumper call it music. here in the, in the pros with that's how the, the pros call it. The pros call it the bumper music. And we I was on with you when you were filling in with Hayes one time, and this was the music that oh, came on automatically. And I'm like, wow, this is a this is a nice uh a nice vibe for a morning interview with Rick Solom. A weird vibe, I would a say. A weird vibe. That's a song that you don't want at you know, well, it was probably like seven fifty in the morning. We're just getting people going, getting people in that spirit for the morning. All right, so let's look at the list here of things that Tregoski wants to talk about. That's kind of how I'm putting it. I ha- I have, I I send myself. How do you how do you do you go to the Google Doc and throw this stuff in here? Do you I I Facebook message myself a lot of things or or email myself a lot of stories. I got to put them in Facebook Messenger though because there's a nice list, kind of like what I do to you. Um, so then before the show, I just go to my facebook feed i don't know how you do it like yeah you see stories I, like oh this is a good one i'm like oh gotta go in the google document because because one of them that i saw was restaurant subscriptions that's yes. one we got to talk about at yes. some point um another one on wisdom news would you buy a subscription to your favorite restaurant yeah see and i <laughs> i haven't read it yet because yes absolutely <laughs> though gosh how many times can you go to that restaurant? So I, I would need to know the details because imagine like a buffet. Would yeah. you get like a? I know there's a lot of Chinese buffets. You just would you get a Chinese buffet restaurant subscription? Whew, what if you paid a hundred dollars a month and you could go as many times as you want and just order whatever? Just Is get it all whatever. You could eat? Get whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good deal. Well, I'm just imagining how how fat I would get. Well, Rick, I, I am not to get too ahead of ourselves, but On the Border Mexican Grill introduced its queso club in 2021, offering as much cheese dip for a year as you could eat for $1. Now, the program stopped taking new subscribers after a year. 150,000 people signed up. The problem was it was so popular that the restaurant was losing money on it. So for a dollar, you get all the queso you want? Yeah. For one dollar? For one year, one dollar. It's an unbelievable deal. Well, this is this is the dilemma. This is in my notes. At some point, in my Google Doc, I have my own. I have, like, story ideas. And one of them is, why doesn't every restaurant do chips and salsa? Why is it just a couple of Mexican restaurants? I get 
Oh yeah! Shout out to Senor Villa for this one because oh, 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 so good. But why isn't every restaurant? I mean, pick a pick a restaurant like Chili's or whatever Applebee's. We don't even have a Chili's though. Though we, I feel like we should. I know when we go to, we used to have Fridays. I don't want to go to Fridays. They bring chips and salsa. I think. Yeah, you have to have like the app, and then you get it for free. But. Why not everywhere? Culvers, <laughs> maybe not like maybe not like fast food, but I'm I'm just like Buzzard Billy's. You go to Buzzard sure. Billy's and you get chips and salsa while you wait for your food. Or I'll take some of those uh, hush puppies from Buzzard Billy's. So it's not all that big of a stretch for a dollar. You do queso. No, it's not. I but mean, I, but it should be it should be a dollar every time, not a dollar for the year. Are you sure you're reading this right? It's a dollar for a year. I mean, it's an incredible deal. That's crazy, yes. But if 150,000 people signed up, then they have $150,000 to play with Yeah, over the next year. But Pretty man. easy to see why it did lose money, though. I mean, like $150,000 for people eating unlimited cheese dip. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to work. So Taco Bell has a $10 Taco Lover's Pass. It debuted in January of 2022. And it lets you get a taco every day for a month. So $10 a month, you can get one taco every day. So that's not worth it. Yeah, I feel like I don't go to Taco I would a, not be motivated to go there every day. It's perfect for Taco Bell. In fact, I had Taco Bell for the first time yesterday, oddly enough. For the first time in, like, not the first time ever, but, like, probably in, like, a year and a half. The hard shell taco is very pathetic compared to the soft shell taco and the amount of stuff that's put inside there. It's unbelievable. I like. I was flabbergasted. I was. I'm, I'm almost wanted to complain. I'm like this thing. How do you complain to Taco Bell? What you get is what you get, right? Like when you go to Taco Bell, what what you get? Is- when you go to Taco Bell, there's no complaining. Like you're gonna you're gonna get whatever's in the bag, and you're gonna like it. What level of restaurant do you get to complain? Definitely not Taco Bell level. Right. Like, <laughs> just like the, those people are like like oh, you're they're working hard in there. They are. So. Uh, yeah, there's a point there where I'm like, do I want to accost this worker because my food wasn't great, or do I feel sorry for them because right. they have to give me food? Now, I have taken notice of the Panera, where you can pay eleven ninety nine per month to get unlimited hot and cold drinks. I saw that one, too, but that was, like, through a certain amount of time. Yeah. Oh, eleven ninety nine a month. Never mind. Okay, yeah, so. I don't know that I go there often enough, or would you be motivated to do that for, like, Starbucks? Well, Starbucks, yes, because there's one, there's three in a one-block radius. So right. No I kind of go out of my way a little bit to get to Panera. No matter which way you're going, you're running, it, like, there's one on the south side. Is there another Starbucks going up somewhere as yeah, well? Yeah, on the north side, like on, by Bridgeview call? Plaza, but okay. right, right across from the formerly- Abandoned Burger King, may it rest in peace. So the Shopco that was abandoned. Is it tore down? Yeah, tore it down. It is tore down. So not even abandoned, torn down. It, formerly abandoned, now torn down. The Burger King on the north side of Lacrosse. Yes. Wait a minute. It is abandoned. Formerly abandoned would be like it's no longer abandoned. Ooh. Now so now we're getting into some interesting formally, philosophical issues formally here. Formerly abandoned. Like a place that existed, it's just—it's not even a thing anymore. The brick and mortar of it is gone. I, I drove by the uh, North Side new, soon-to-be Starbucks today. Seems to be almost ready. Given the amount of Starbucks we've had, we have here, I would absolutely buy a subscription for Starbucks. Okay, but eleven ninety-nine is not going to be what a because I feel no. like that's one of their be- better coffees is eleven ninety-nine. Yeah, I mean, like a, a 
what what do they call them? Like a frappuccino, like a large frappuccino or a venti frappuccino, yeah. as they call them in Starbucks language. Yeah, that'd probably be eleven ninety nine on its own. Like what? amount of money are you willing to pay for a month-long subscription to starbucks unlimited whatever 20 20 yeah because i'm thinking it's got to be like 50 yeah i feel like 20 and doesn't think, make sense for them and maybe you you wouldn't but i bet people out there are paying 50 I, especially oh, imagine you if you worked at the mall right. or something or if you worked at hy-vee if you work at hy-vee if you work at target that is actually a if pretty you good deal anywhere in that area then yeah. every break you just go get your your $13 coffee from Starbucks and yeah. your $50 pays for itself in, in the first week you of work. You have 200 Frappuccinos per month. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. This is why we have a political expert on to talk about <laughs> these restaurant things. Because we all eat, right? We not, we, uh, and we And Tregoski, you know, does that as good as any of us. We'll be back. I hopped up the plane at LAX with a dream in my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame, except am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the camp, here I am for the first time. It seems like the like the right and I see the low E version. So <laughs> you know, maybe it, maybe it's Everybody so famous. My tummy's turning and I'm feeling kind of homesick. Too much pressure. It literally says that on my music. Pretty cool. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tchaikovsky is on with me. Happy Friday, Rick. Oh, yeah, we got to do that. And um, all right, let's let's do some politics. We had an election. We had a, U, a U.S. So Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Um, first of all, the Lacrosse County voters blew away expectations from our county clerk. If you listen to the show this week, Jenny Dinkmeyer predicted 18 to 20% turnout, and it was, what, a little over 24%? Yeah, Lacrosse County turnout in the Tuesday election was 24.25%. Statewide, the turnout was 20.5%. That is a record. The previous record for a February election was set during the 2020 primary election. Now, it's pretty obvious why that was a record-setting election, because presidential candidates were on the ballot. That was when the Democratic Party's nomination process was still going on. Oh, really? So, yeah, oh, you know. 2020, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, 2020. Um, so we were voting for, like, Bernie, or I was voting for Bernie at that point, yeah. right? Is that how that goes? You, you know, Rick, 2020, completely different context because you had this presidential election going on. Now this is the only election. It's, and it's, so, so it's flabbergasting that we, uh, we beat 2020. With just the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. It really is, Rick, because for many people, including myself living in Onalaska, I know people in the city of La Crosse had different things on their ballot. But for me living in Onalaska, this was the only thing on the ballot, the state Supreme Court race. Okay, obviously people understand the importance of the race, but is it? Is it because of all the factors or is it like women's right to choose? Is that the thing or do people understand that gerrymandering – that the 2024 presidential election is on this ballot with this Wisconsin Supreme Court race. It's, it's uh, I was going to say allegedly, but I, like possibly, I should say. Yep, all of the above, Rick. So when we look at the issues, the issues relating to abortion, gerrymandering, and the election are the issues that get people fired up. That's not always the case for the state Supreme Court. Sometimes it's not really clear to voters why the state Supreme Court matters. I think this time around, voters understand. I'm doing pie charts this week. If there was a pie chart of those three things, where does how much, what's the percentage of the of the hundred percent that 
of of the three topics that Jerry, uh, abortion takes. Abortion, I would put at sixty percent, six zero. I would put gerrymandering at thirty, and I would put the tw- the upcoming presidential election at ten. Is there a world where if Republicans could go back in time, they would undo the Roe versus Wade undoing because this appears to be something that they. That, that, that is a complete loser for them? Yeah, Rick. You know, it's a very interesting situation in politics because a lot of times in American history, we have seen court rulings that are made in contradiction to public opinion. Okay, So the court makes a ruling, but the public does not approve of that ruling. So it is very like, possible. Like women getting the right to vote? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, well, I don't know. Is there a good example of that? Back you know, in the day? I, and this is not meant to compare this to abortion at all. I right. mean, like abortion is its own issue. There's really nothing that you can compare abortion to. One example that really comes to mind would be the Brown versus Board of Education ruling and how it was completely rejected in the South. Like the Southern states wanted to eliminate the Supreme Court justices. They wanted to impeach them and remove them because there was such this vicious backlash to school integration and other subsequent rulings regarding race in particular, oh, like school busing. It's very weird because that's the backwards thinking of, you know, how most of society is today. The, like segregation is just like, what? Yeah. You know? So really in the South back then, that I mean, that's hard. It's a hard concept to wrap because it's the opposite of what we're thinking now. This right. Like, you know, Rick, the politics of race have changed so much from the 50s, 60s and 70s in that time when the Supreme Court made rulings to promote school integration. There was vicious backlash. So it's a great example of how the courts made rulings when the public opinion was well, not consistent with those rulings. Okay, but did that have an effect on what politicians were elected to office after that? So in the case of the South, it emboldened Southern politicians. It made them want to fight back against the Supreme Court. It made them want to speak out against the idea of putting children of different races together. We had more pro-segregation politicians on whatever side of the aisle they were on. It fueled the backlash, Rick. It really did. In in the case of abortion. Isn't it crazy, too? You're talking about like the 1950s. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. You know? It wasn't. I mean. Go sit down with my parents and ask them about this, right? Like. We obviously we don't live in the South, but like they have to have some some type of experience. Yeah, Rick. I, I mean, the ruling by the Supreme Court that legalized interracial marriage was in 1967. That wasn't long ago. It's it's, it's, a, it's insane. Um, but yeah, going back to the abortion and Roe versus Wade, Republicans would go back in time secretly, like if they didn't, if there was no, and then they could pretend that they want to fight Roe versus Wade, do that thing again. Yep. Um, and because because the 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 last election last year, not just week last year's election, where Democrats didn't lose a ton in the House, that was because of abortion, right? Essentially, Rick, you know, abortion was a big factor, and a lot of Republicans did not want to talk about the issue of abortion during the 2022 campaign. They weren't really sure what kind of message to use. In the case of this particular election. We have a situation where the conservative movement won a monumental legal victory, one that they had been hoping for for decades to overturn Roe versus Wade. But they have not won the battle in public opinion. It's a great it's a great thing to fight for. It is for conservatives. We're fighting for uh, what do they call it? Pro-life, right? Yep. We're we're fighting for that fighting. And then as soon as they win the win the battle, they they somehow lose the war kind of. 
It, you know, it it's kind of like they, that, even though right? they won the war. Right? You, it's you such know, a confusing thing. You, you know, there's going to be, whenever you have a huge shock to the political system, and whether people approve of Roe versus Wade being overturned, whether people disapprove of Roe versus Wade being overturned, what everyone can agree on is that Roe versus Wade being overturned was a monumental shock to the American political system. So it is going to result in a lot of ripple effects, and those ripple effects are being felt in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court election. So I think that abortion is absolutely going to be the number one issue. And, Rick, you know, I've heard some people saying, well, you know, people in the media need to stop talking so much about abortion. That's something that some Republicans are saying. And look, I'm sympathetic to that view because abortion is not at all the only issue that the Wisconsin State Supreme Court deals with. But if it's what voters care about, if it's what the ads are going to be about, then well, that's just the reality of the situation. And if the 1849 abortion ban is on the ballot, essentially, I like this, to call it the 174-year-old law on banning abortion in Wisconsin. If that law is essentially on the ballot here, then how do we ignore that right it's just well that was my next question i had two thoughts as we're talking about this i'm like um, people are probably sick of hearing us talk about abortion but we're talking about it in a way that's your your expertise here is how it's been weaponized politically right and then also how unique is wisconsin maybe not that unique but we but you know minnesota it's a totally different story in wisconsin we have a 174 year old law is does any other state have a hundred and x a hundred year old law banning abortion I know some states have a zero year old law banning abortion <laughs> because of the because of the rule change but I don't know maybe I, I guess I, I've never looked into that and, and not that I'm aware of Rick and there's no chance that it will be updated because Governor Evers wants the law to go to the state Supreme Court Meanwhile, the Republicans are battling amongst themselves. Some Republicans say there should be exceptions for rape or incest inserted into the law. Right, the lowest bar of all bars. Other Republicans say, let's just keep the 1849 law as is. But, Rick, when it comes to public opinion, in August, the Marquette University poll found that 65% of Wisconsin voters said abortion should be legal in all or most cases, while 30% said it should be illegal in all or most cases. So, look, I mean, I can't, you know, public opinion just is what it is. When we have a law that is inconsistent with public opinion, that's going to have a huge political effect. So, again, conservatives and liberals are dealing with you, a contradiction here. Conservatives won a monumental legal victory. They have not won the battle in public opinion. Meanwhile, liberals lost a massive legal battle, but they are currently doing well in the battle for public opinion. I mean, you you almost got to see cons- like conservatives come to the middle a little bit more and give some leeway on you know, maybe not just rape and incest, you know, because obviously the the the, the opinion is swayed. And, and but, but the other thing that's funny is in Wisconsin, conservatives can't lose elections, really, unless they I don't know, they would have to do something pretty nefarious and also be on the ballot because gerrymandered. Yes. Enter issue number two in the campaign for the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. All right, we'll do it when we come back. All right, welcome back to Cross Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Uh, we're getting getting a couple of texts here. UW Cross political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski on, uh, as he is most Fridays. With I'm me. up to 11 peeps during the show, by the way. Yeah, Chagoski revealed last week 
Well, did you reveal this on I, the air? I did. did you... I did. It was a huge reveal. Yeah, that he loves peeps. I do. Not like people. Well, you might love people too. I do. I mean, you're a professor. You got You almost gotta love people, right? Yeah. Like otherwise, that would be a weird job to get into. I'm gonna talk to people all day and teach them, but I hate them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I brought him in some peeps. I didn't know. Of there's the a, marshmallow variety. There's a, okay, is marshmallow the original then? Yes. Okay, because that's what I thought. But then there was there was birthday cake peep, peeps. And I was like, God, those, if I was getting peeps of the of the selection that I had, there was also root beer. And I knew you, well, I guess I don't know. Would you have been down with root beer peeps? You know, I'm up. I'm I'm up to try to anything, Rick. I, I, I will note though, um, back in the day at the Mall of America in Minnesota, there was a Peeps store where they sold every variety that you could imagine, and it's closed. And I feel really sad about that. Yeah, I can't imagine it closed. Yeah, <laughs> it, it should be like a fireworks store or a Halloween it store, really right? Yes, right. It should. Yeah. In fact, there should be a a. A building or a, a in the mall, like a whatever one of those mini stores or a kiosk, but more more like a store where every two months it just changes with whatever holiday. Oh, like, that's a great just, idea! Like I'm the Halloween person. Yeah, you're the fireworks guy. Yeah, and we get a peeps person. Yep, and what a Christmas. A Christmas, Santa photo booth, like a, and we all team up and we buy out one of the stores. Oh, and that's we just brilliant! Rotate it every couple of months. To whatever season it is. And then when... Let's get Valley View Mall on the phone right now. And then what happens in August? Because I'm... In August... uh, Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just cobwebs. (laughs) I don't know. Then in August, you sell, like, flowers, I guess. In in August, we put everything on clearance from the previous season. Everything goes on clearance, (laughs) yes. Because, like, September... Because it would have... like. By September, you're going Halloween, but July, August. Well, July, you go fourth. Okay, mm-hmm. after fourth of July, after the the week of clearance on fireworks, from like the third week of July and through August is like, yeah, we yep. would all have to just bring our crap. We'll just we'll just take that time off. How long do peeps last? Is there an expiration date? Top right corner, I can see. It. <laughs> Top right what year, corner. What decade is it? Oh, uh, is it not right there? I, I'm looking for it. Oh, okay. uh, the expiration date is December of 2024. Okay, so they're so good for a while yet. You, you it two years, essentially. <laughs> I got a solid two years to finish these four that I have Okay, left. if that wasn't opened and you saw the expiration date was December 2024, but it was like, no, if that expiration date was like 2020 and that wasn't open, would you eat them? Oh, yeah. Would you at least open them and yeah. make sure? What happens to a peep when you won't eat it? It's got to be like rock hard. Yeah, like the marshmallow. It'll break your tooth level hard. (laughs) It's gonna break your tooth level hard. Uh, We did have a texter text me. uh, Jeff texted, "Excuse me." He wrote, "Excuse me," like X C U S E. So like X, like just put an E there, man. Uh, But am I missing something? You're talking to a political science professor about tacos. (laughs) Yes, that's what we do. That's the irony of the show. Is I bring Tregoski on, and then we don't talk. Politics. We can't talk politics. The whole show will just go insane. Not on a Friday. We talked abortion sake. way too long, but it's it's. It, we didn't talk abortion in terms of what abortion is or stands for. I talked about it as being weaponized as a political thing, and if Republicans could go back in time, I think they would undo Roe versus Wade because the fight for them is a winner if they can fight for it versus having won the battle and then losing kind of the the messaging there. Yeah, Rick, you know, you wonder how conservatives feel like this because one school of thought is that the 
some people might say that um, you know conservatives were not fully prepared for the battle that is now ensuing on a state by state level surrounding abortion. Did they not think that that was going to happen? You know, I think it seemed so out of reach. Do they see sometimes like something like marijuana is kind of the same? Is the same percentage of people are, and they're just like, well, nobody gives that much about marijuana, so. You know, we're like, but all, but when you're going after, you know, the messaging is women's rights. That's a little bit different than you know hippies' rights, I guess. It's really different, and so Rick, I think that the messaging, there's been some struggles on the Republican side to come up with the right messaging. Some struggles to come up with the right policy approach at this point. So I think both sides are just trying to get their footing. Is there a world here where Republican leadership is made up of a certain gender and age that just doesn't? coincide with you know telling women what to do i'll just tell you rick uh jr ross of whiz politics uh, i heard a talk that he gave where he said that the male political consultants were telling him that abortion would not be an issue in the 2022 <laughs> midterms the female political consultants told him that abortion would be a huge issue in the 2022 midterm maybe elections. just have maybe just talk to both consultants just talk to both genders all right so uh back to the supreme court race that we had the primary this week um in my head, I've been saying this, Dora would have been a very much better candidate because I, I don't, she's a woman, first of all, like, I feel like if abortion rights, I don't know where she stands on that. I think she's very pro-life, right? Like she's pro-anti-abortion, um, right? Is that is that right? Her sure. messaging there? Okay. Um, but just in general, if they're both the same, then pick the woman for the Supreme Court race because she's just going to be. I don't know, like she just did a thing in Waukesha with the Prey Massacre. So there's a thing you could point to because it's a nonpartisan race. We need something to rally behind. That would have been the thing for Republicans to rally behind. Look how she, you know, is fighting crime, I guess. Rick, that was the case to be made for Jennifer Duro as the best candidate on the conservative side in the April election. Would she have been the best candidate in your, your opinion? There's a strong argument to be made for that because she might have been able to do really well in the Milwaukee suburbs. After all, that's where the crime occurred and where the trial occurred. And where most people live. It's where most people live. And we know that historically, Republicans have done really well in the Milwaukee suburbs. They're not doing so well in that area right now. The Republican base has really shifted from the Milwaukee suburbs to rural Wisconsin. That is where Dan Kelly ran up his margins in rural areas. And so that's how he was able to defeat Jennifer Duro. That is a huge change in Republican politics because it used to be that the Milwaukee suburbs were the heart and soul of the Wisconsin Republican Party. And that is no longer the case. The idea with Jennifer Duro is that she would have been able to stop the bleeding, so to speak, in the Milwaukee suburbs, that she would have been able to turn things around a little bit for the Republicans by attracting more voters on the issue of crime. Now, Interestingly, Rick, when we look at Janet Protasiewicz, the more liberal-leading candidate, and the ads that she has put out, you see two themes of the first two ads that she has put out. First, abortion. That was the first theme of the ad that she put out. Second, crime. That was the second theme of the ad that she put out. She accused Dan Kelly of being weak on crime, of defending predators and defending child 
predators in some of the work that he's done. So she is trying to take away the issue of crime from Dan Kelly while also pivoting to those key issues that we've talked about of abortion and gerrymandering. I think it's a smart strategy. I've always said that the key for Janet Protasiewicz is to fight to a draw on crime, to make it a wash, and then to really pivot to the abortion message where we know that the public opinion is really on her side. And again, you know, I would never state my own position on abortion. I'm just a data guy, and I'm just looking at the data. And the data is that most voters in Wisconsin did not want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. And so if that is her message, then that's a good one from just a standpoint of right. public opinion, and just then, political strategy. And then on top of that, this, the law is now 174 years old. Um, Dan Kelly is always referred to as an ex-Supreme Court justice or however you want, a former Supreme Court justice. I always think that's funny because uh, he was appointed by Scott Walker. So he and before that, he didn't have any experience as a judge. Mm-hmm. Right. I believe if I'm if I remember reading that. So like dude got appointed. So he was handed the job by the Republican governor. And then he lost, what, in 2020 to Jill Karofsky in a Supreme Court race. So why do Republicans— By 10 points. By 10, he got blown out, right, in that race, admittedly, like you just said. There was, was the Democratic there, race. There was, a, there was a presidential primary Bernie v. Biden. So Democrats would have come to the, yep. to the you know, polls or whatever. But I, I guess I, I just don't understand it as a Republican Party. Be like, yeah, Dan Kelly, we gotta get, we got to get with this guy. Maybe because nobody digs into the deep— Part of like, oh, he was an ex-Supreme Court judge, so he must have, you know, be good for this. Oh, wait, he he didn't actually earn that job. Yeah, it is his previous experience. But, Rick, more than that, it's his track record as a conservative. He can point to the rulings he's made to show people just how conservative he is. And believe me, he is really conservative. Is that a winning thing in, in a in a nonpartisan race statewide? <laughs> In the rural areas, yes, because we know that in the Trump era, Dan Kelly is someone who can really connect with the rural areas. The rural areas in Wisconsin have really gone Republican. We know that that's been a response to Donald Trump's emergence in the Republican Party. And we know that Dan Kelly is a staunch supporter of Donald Trump, that he worked for the Republican Party and was a key backer of Donald Trump. Those all seem like red flags to me. (laughs) Just like it's a nonpartisan race. We're supposed to put somebody on that's like like not totally left or totally you know right rick one, one of my colleagues uh one of my colleagues put it very very well when i was um you know reviewing some of the uh reviewing some of the media coverage that came out uh he said that of course both candidates have views on abortion right and so for dan kelly to say well i don't know i'm gonna rule on the 1849 law Jennifer, Janet Protese was, I don't know who I'm going to rule on the 1849 law. It's just absurd. And so we need to really be skeptical when these candidates say, well, I'm just going to look objectively at the law, put all Are my personal that, biases though? aside. We've seen that with U.S. Supreme Court judges when they go through, like, Senate hearings, and we always laugh because we know, for, for God's sakes, like, you, you do, too, have an opinion. We, I can't, I can't uh, comment on something hypothetical as, like, the go-to answer for all that crap. And you're like, no, you actually can because, you know, hypothetical things do happen to exist eventually. So but are they doing that as well? I felt like the these these candidates had opinions on things. They do. And so you can't predict everything that's going to come before the state Supreme Court. So there are limits to how much candidates can be predicted in advance. That being said, I mean, These candidates clearly align with the Republican and Democratic parties. They clearly align with the liberal and conservative movements. And so it's just 
my goal, honestly, as a political scientist, to convince people that the state Supreme Court is basically a Democratic versus Republican institution, is a liberal versus conservative institution, and that judges do not magically become completely objective when they put their robes on. In fact, they use their robes a lot of times, their fancy outfits, to try to protect themselves from accusations of bias when, in fact, they are deeply biased. Dan Kelly was literally Scott Walker's lawyer. Absolutely, Rick. <laughs> so, just, Absolutely. And maybe Janet Protese, which has, has some of this in her background, too. It's maybe unfair, but but I don't see that. Like, if she wasn't Governor Tony Evers' lawyer at some point or something like that. Janet Protese is being, I think, fairly criticized for being kind of blunt on some of these issues. I think it's quite startling to see a candidate like Janet Protasewicz talk very openly about gerrymandering and abortion. It's not what we're used to with candidates. At the same time, Dan Kelly playing this, oh, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to rule on these issues. It's, it's, it's also or absurd. or refreshing. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, some people, there's this story too. When you talk about people being just candid, did you see this? Like the, the grand juror in the Trump investigation? Yeah. She yeah. had that. Uh, you saw the interview at all, or any clips of I that? Did. Where she's just she's kind of, really weird. She's kind of kicked back and talking. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, that's not a. I don't like that at all." <laughs> um, it's kind of a d- complicated story, but I just it's on wisdomnews.com. Look for the Trump shrug picture. But but uh, Rick, just want to point to this this uh, quote from a political science professor, a colleague of mine at uh, Pitt University of Pittsburgh. I think the difference between Protasewicz and Kelly is one is being upfront and one is trying to hide behind the charade. I mean, look, does anyone really think Dan Kelly doesn't have views on abortion? Of course he does, and that's okay. The question isn't whether or not they have views. The question is whether or not they can hear cases fairly. That's what this comes down to. Can they hear cases fairly? Of course they both have views. They shouldn't pretend otherwise. So you could say that Janet Protasewicz is kind of refreshing in that she talks about her views. You could say that Dan Kelly is doing the right thing and not talking about his views. Dan Kelly's website literally says a conservative constitutionalist, which is like, I'm going to be a right-wing constitutionalist. Like, they, what is have, that? they have views. Let's not pretend otherwise. The question is, how do those views impact their decisions? We'll be back. Patch. Joe texted and he was like, who is this Jerry you keep talking about? And I'm like, uh, what? Jerry Mander. Oh, the Jerry. Jerry Mander. Yeah, it's the dumbest. It's the dumbest term for what we what I like to just call map rigging. Anytime we say gerrymandering, you should just stop, hit the brakes and just go map rigging yep. because that's what that's what it is. Right. That's accurate. It's just rigging the maps. It is, Rick. And it has two consequences. And, um, you know, honestly, I think both consequences are really important. The first consequence is that gerrymandering, whether it's done by the Republicans or Democrats, essentially guarantees that one party will remain the majority. But I think just as important, it really limits the number of competitive districts. And limiting the number of competitive districts has a huge negative impact on our government. Well, it takes our primaries and shifts them to the left and to the right, right? Like yeah. The, the Mark Pocan's got to get more left and the, you know, Derek Van Orden's got to get more right to beat their colleagues in their own party to keep, you know, to keep winning that seat. Exactly. And so I think when I think about gerrymandering, sure, I think about fair competition for majority control, competition that reflects the overall views of the state. But I also just think about the value of competitive elections and how much better our government would be if more politicians had to sweat it out, if there was more competition between the two parties in individual elections. I think that would massively improve our government. Uh, Not on the list and way out of the blue here as I bring (laughs) up Derek Van Orden. Can I just ask you this? What kind of 
politics is Derek Van Orden playing by going to the southern border as a Wisconsin state rep who, you know, like we have battle, we have inflation problems. We have fix the road problems, infrastructure problems. We have other problems. And then he goes and, and kind of side by side with Kevin McCarthy, the house. You know, sure. I, I don't I, I guess like what is that? Like how <laughs> Sure. So Rick, we know that historically politicians in Congress have mainly focused on local issues. That has changed. Now every Congress member, it seems, focuses on national issues. And so- that's fine because we have a we have a system of media Social media, regular media, TV, online, where we can see these issues more prevalently. Derek Van Orden is trying to thread a needle. He has gotten on the Agriculture Committee, getting involved with the Farm Bill because of the importance of agriculture in this district. So strategically, that is very smart as he tries to focus on local issues. But we also know that members of Congress, to an unprecedented extent, are now focusing on issues that reach beyond their district. They're focusing on national issues. So he's trying to kind of do both things, focusing on the border, which is a national issue and one that very much motivates his party on a national level, while also focusing on local issues, most notably agriculture. Are there? I feel like there's just better national issues. And I, I guess like the, the, the border and the immigration situation is one that I think is, is the, the general public has very little background on or understanding mm-hmm. of. Um, I think there's a policy that the Biden administration is making where if you if you hop uh, like if you come from two countries away, you can't seek asylum, which just seems like so only people from Mexico can seek asylum. It just seems really weird. It's really complicated stuff. And Republicans are certainly taking full advantage of the crisis at the border. It is a crisis. The reason there's a crisis is because it's a really complicated issue. We know that the Biden administration has been caught somewhat flat footed. They have been criticized for not devoting enough attention to the border. Meanwhile, we know that immigration has become a signature issue for Republicans and that when actually I looked at some data on State of the Union addresses from the past several decades, Donald Trump devoted more attention to immigration than any other president in like the last 60 years. So that has become a huge issue for Republicans. Um, All right. So why like why don't why don't people in Congress, if we're going to do nationwide issues or worldwide issues, just go you know what I'm pushing for? The four-day work week. Sounds good. Uh, this is this is something they're doing in the UK, right? A kind of an experiment that's just completed, just doing a four-day work week, and the results are uncanny or maybe not unexpected for anyone that works five days, six days, seven days a week and going, oh, yeah, you know what? We wouldn't mind a four-day work week. You know what we would do? We would probably work harder those for four days knowing we have another day off. Yeah, Rick, it says employees reported benefits, 71% feeling less burned out, 60% saying it was easier to balance work and responsibilities at home, 73% reported increased satisfaction with their lives. Didn't, didn't, wasn't there, no, there was a Chick-fil-A using child labor, I think, in North Carolina, but there was another Chick-fil-A somewhere in the nation that was doing 16-hour shifts, so they had like a three-day work week. And then the other four days they had off, so they got they were a full time employee at Chick Fil A, but they were they were working double shifts for those three days. So the, I I don't know if that's a great plan. I don't know if anyone could stand to do that for sixteen hours a day. But there's a there's a, weir- a weird way to do. How many times would you have to say my pleasure during a sixteen hour workday? Well, geez, at, in that Chick Fil A too, right? If you did it at any other restaurant, it might be a lot less. But at Chick Fil A, <laughs> it would be seventeen hundred thousand a day. So all right, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Trigoski, and thank you everybody for listening.